The 21st Century Cures Act that was signed into law late last year is ambitious legislation that, among other things, aims to accelerate the advancement of medical innovation as well as reform the nation's mental health system. To help accomplish those goals, there are several important health IT features, including provisions related to secure health information sharing. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Dr. David Kibbe, President and CEO of Direct Trust, a not-for-profit association that created and maintains the security and trust framework for using the direct project protocol for secure email in healthcare. Dr. Kibbe will be discussing secure health information sharing-related challenges involving the 21st Century Cures Act. So, Dr. Kibbe, the Cures Act health IT-related provisions calls upon the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT to, quote, convene public and private stakeholders to develop or support a common national trust framework and agreement, end quote. What does that mean to you, and how do you envision direct trusts work with secure email potentially contributing to this? Well, that's a good question. This is a, a somewhat controversial part of the health IT provisions of the Cures Act because it's unclear in the minds of many people what a common national trust framework and agreement really means. But the Cures Act requires that within six months of passage, the national coordinator shall do what you read and convene parties to look into this. I think this is really a holdover idea from the HITECH Act going back uh, several years when uh, policy setters and the federal government at that time felt that uh, ultimately we would have something called the National Health Information Network, and that would be sort of the, the railroad lines on which uh, health information and health data were exchanged in this country. But what we really have instead of that is a set of at least two national health information networks, one being Direct Trust for PUSH, uh, the other being eHealth Exchange for Query, that are standards-based and are used extremely widely. We have a number of health information exchanges around the country, all of which have their own security and trust frameworks and rules by which uh, the information delivery and ability to access that information are uh, governed. And then, of course, we have some vendors who have their own health information networks, and this is sort of a, a patchwork quilt. I think it does make sense to, to look at the you know, principles and practices of trust, security, identity in those uh, various networks and perhaps come up with some basic rules that ought to be sort of the framework of the frameworks. <laughs> but I think it's going to be very difficult to uh, try to pick out a one-size-fits-all trust framework and get people to sign on to that because there are lots of different technologies available, which is probably a good thing. There are also, um, in our world at Direct Trust, parts of this that are very complicated, such as the public key infrastructure, that other trust networks don't necessarily use. So it's going to be a challenge. So, Dr. Kibbe, the legislation also imposes civil monetary penalties for organizations that participate in intentional and inappropriate information blocking, which is described as preventing or materially discouraging access, exchange, or use of electronic health information as permitted by law. What are the challenges to healthcare entities and vendors 
in terms of them complying with these regulations that warn against intentional information blocking? Great question. And um, I think under appreciated portion of the Health Equity Provisions Act um, at this point. There are quite a few people who think information blocking doesn't exist, and therefore that somehow this law uh, that is very comprehensive in its definition of information blocking will not have effect. It's a good time actually to remind people that the Health Equity Provisions of the Cures Act were the result of very bipartisan activities and support from both the Republicans and the Democratic groups that worked on this bill for a couple of years, maybe more than that, both in the Senate and the House. So this is a really a very important part of the HIT provisions of the Cures Act, and it's likely to cause, at the very least, some challenges to vendors and developers for the next several years. The language here is very broad, and we have a new statutory definition for information blocking, which I won't read to you, but it's quite comprehensive and includes any practice that, and I'll just read this one part, if conducted by an HIT developer, exchange, or network, such entity knows or should know that such practice is likely to interfere with, prevent, or materially discourage the access, exchange, or use of electronic health information. So it's not just that the parties involved need to avoid what they know could be information blocking, it's that they have to avoid even those that they should know. And, and, I, and I think this is going to raise uh, some significant issues there. there are no, there's no question that there are certain types of information security and identity and other restrictions that are quite reasonable in, in an environment where we have so often seen breaches of health information and the privacy of the parties that, that, that who own that information. On the other hand, the industry rules that seem to be aimed at, for example, restricting access of some parties and providing information channeling to others, those are going to get looked at and scrutinized in a completely new and different way starting later this year. So now, Dr. Kibbe, the Cures Act calls for improving the sharing of mental health data and also substance abuse information. What are the main security and privacy hurdles you see with that? The problems there are not new. And I think that people are getting a better handle on those additional privacy protections that are necessary for behavioral health information exchanges. And they primarily involve a couple of things. One is making sure that the consent to exchange of that information from the parties whose information it is, that is the patient's, has been obtained and is transferred to the parties that the information is being sent to or retrieved from. I think this is an important piece of uh, information, these consents that uh, can travel with the patient's records. It's a, primarily a technical set of issues and uh, not all that additional in terms of its burdens on the parties who are exchanging information. The other thing is, in, is a little more general, and that is that sometimes information exchange that contains that information and that's not known to the parties that receive the information. So we need to provide additional context with respect to health information exchange associated with particular workflows that that information might follow. And that, again, is a technical collaborative question that I think will be probably improved upon quite a bit in this next couple of years. 
So now, Dr. Kibbe, even though the Cures Act was signed into law several months ago, there are now questions about whether HHS will get sufficient funding to support all the initiatives laid out in the legislation, including the work that ONC is assigned to do. What worries you the most about those funding issues and the potential impact on the work that needs to be done to support secure health data exchange to achieve the goals of this legislation? You know, Marianne, actually, I'm not really worried. I have a lot of faith in the leadership at uh, Health and Human Services and ONC, particularly Don Rucker, who is the new national coordinator. I have a lot of faith in the, in the career people at ONC. I think it's going to be a challenge for them because, as you know, the health IT provisions of the Cures Act require ONC to do a significant new work such as extending the EHR certification program into the real world and to provide testing of electronic health record products and services for usability. But there are many other components of, the, of those provisions that will require ONC's uh, leadership and, and activity. I do think it will be challenging. I, I think that the budget needs to be increased from it's been held steady for the last two, possibly three budget cycles. I don't think it's it's reasonable to keep it there and then add these additional duties. However, I think that they'll they'll figure it out. I think they'll trim some programs back that may not have been as focused as the the ones that they will put in place under this new game plan uh, to follow the uh, Cures Act. And I think they'll if there's any indication right now, they're they're hiring in some very talented people who have a lot of information technology experience in the practical world under their belts. So overall I, I think ONC will do just fine. And Dr. Kibbe, outside of the issues pertaining to the 21st Century Cures Act, what other emerging health data security and privacy challenges worries you the most these days and why? Well, first of all, you know, I, I think the, the, the health IT provisions of the Cures Act are a, a very good game plan. And I think they will be the game plan for both the, the course correction that's needed with respect to some of the things that happened over the last five years with meaningful use, as well as an extension of, of some of the things that worked into the future. So it has both those aspects of course correction and extension that, that uh, I think it, the challenge will be to get that right. Outside of, of all of this, I'm, I think we're all worried about the social engineering attacks, particularly those coming through email in the clear that have been means by which the malware of various kinds, uh, including this ransomware, um, have gained a hold inside networks. I think the people who are breaking into our computer systems around the country, um, including healthcare systems, are, are several steps ahead of the industry. It was, however, uh, and has been somewhat uh, reassuring that in this last ransomware with the WannaCry virus, the healthcare systems in the United States did not seem to be a principal target of those attacks. And it may well have been that, that was the result of, of, of what I hope is a, is a trend whereby healthcare systems, healthcare provider organizations, payers, and so forth are really tightening up, hardening their security and trust networks in order to be able to deal with those threats. But certainly the thing that people have to worry about most of all, we're worrying about you know, in any place that I come into contact with, is the issue of identity. How do you know that the party with whom you are Exchanging information uh, via email, for example, is actually who he says he is or she says she is. That problem is, is one that, for the most part, direct exchange, because of the public key infrastructure, the verification of the IDs 
of the senders and receivers does not allow people to hide in the background and uh, to try to take over the systems. But the email in the clear is just a real problem, and, and uh, we're going to have to, the people at Google and Yahoo and others are going to have to deal with that as well as those inside of health. And finally, what should we be watching for next from Direct Trust this year? Continued growth. I think we're sort of reached some kind of tipping point with respect to the use of direct exchange as a secure transport protocol and platform so that not only can direct exchange be used for messaging that's well known and it's it's taking on a life of its own with respect to transitions of care and care coordination, but it can also be used for server-to-server connections and replace more expensive connections such as dedicated VPNs. And so I think you'll you'll see the transition from direct messaging and exchange from mostly a person-to-person exchange to more automated uses of the protocols for server-to-server communications, transport securely, and as well as perhaps extension to devices. The other thing I think you can look for is ways in which direct trust as a certification authority extends our public key infrastructure to support other technologies besides direct. The identity and trust policies and procedures that we have in place as a framework are well suited to supporting FHIR, for example. And I I think we'll start to see that happen as the the use of FHIR is extended to inter-organizational exchanges of information and query. Thanks, Dr. Kibbe. I've been speaking to Dr. David Kibbe of Direct Trust. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.